God, thank you for tonight, God, and thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for this time of worship and our gathering here tonight, Lord, and thank you for everyone online and whoever hears this even later, God, thank you that we can all join together to study your word. And as we do, I ask God that you would touch and bless your word. Thank you, God, so much for tonight, and we ask for your spirit to be here in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Here's some funny reasons for the naming of Baptist churches. Now, I say this not putting down Baptist churches or criticizing the denomination. Some of the best people I know and have known, they go to Baptist churches, but I'm just having a little fun here. Uh, Here's some uh, reasons for some naming of these Baptist churches. First of all, the first Baptist church. Well, that's for people who always want to be first in everything. The second Baptist church, well, it's for people who believe version 2.0 is way better than the first one. Calvary Baptist Church is a congregation who crucifies their pastor regularly. The conservative Baptist is a church for those who hate the liberal party. Uh, Tabernacle Baptist Church is for people who like to go camping. The Missionary Baptist Church is a church whose focus, of course, is on missions. By the way, the congregation is really small because everyone's on the mission field, which isn't a bad thing. And lastly, the Free Will Baptist Church is a church for those who want to release killer whales. You get it? (laughs) Did you know, though, originally, before there were creative names for churches, The first Baptist church really got its name because it was the first Baptist church in town. And the second Baptist church was, guess what? The second one that was established in town. I always wondered that, but I I looked that up. Basically, those are the reasons. Well, tonight, we return to our study in the book of Acts, and we learn really how this first church with primarily Gentiles Began. Remember in our study here in the book of Acts that primarily the early church at this point as we come into Acts 11, it was all made up of Jews, Jewish Christians, Jewish believers. Well, God has been on the move, hasn't he? And we've been studying that. We've been finding out more and more of Gentiles coming to be saved. Well, as we come into the second half of chapter 11 of the book of Acts, we see how this church of gentiles came to be it's the first church with gentiles primarily in them and so the title of our message is the first gentile church the first gentile church now we're going to be studying acts chapter 11 from verse 19 through 30 excuse me we're going to finish the chapter here and it's the second half of of this chapter and what we've seen our outline tonight is this the unexpected revival, number two, the unexpected discipleship, and number three, the unexpected collection. And so uh, those are the three things we're going to be seeing in our passage here. So let's begin here. Number one, the unexpected revival, the unexpected revival. Now here we're going to be covering verses 19 through 21, verses 19 through 21. Let's take a look at those verses right now, these three verses, 
And Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 21, it reads like this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And we'll stop there. Now we begin here once again. The writer Luke is continuing this story of how the Gentiles will now be reached and saved in Jesus Christ. Now, we've been following this, haven't we? Through these chapters and recent chapters, chapter 11 and 10, we've been seeing how how Gentiles now are coming to Jesus Christ. I mean, it all really started back in Acts chapter 8 when that one person, the Ethiopian eunuch, right, was saved. Philip went out there. He was reading Isaiah. Uh, Philip explained Isaiah, uh, the, the prophecy of the death of Christ on the cross, and the Ethiopian gave his life to the Lord, believed, and was baptized, if you remember that. And then, in Acts chapter 10, right after Peter's vision of the sheet, uh, the Lord said, eat anything on that sheet, which means, hey, what I change, I change, I can change. And if I, it was correlating to the saving of Gentiles. Remember the mentality back then was you had to be a Jew first and then you could be saved in Christ. And, and that was the thinking. And, and they never thought, well, Gentiles really getting saved all the way completely? Well, here's Peter called to Cornelius, the centurion's house, and his household got saved after he preached, right? And then Peter, in this first half of chapter 11, he reports to Jerusalem. So at this time, the thinking had been, well, uh, you got to be a Jew first, and then you can come to Christ uh, with the Gentiles. But primarily, the early church then was made up of Jewish believers, and only a, only a household, maybe one guy, was saved in Jesus. Well, God was on the move. God was on the move. First was a man, then a whole group of people. But now he's going to bust open a revival. And that's what we're getting into here. Now, as I always say, I think about Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I believe with what what we're seeing here, the understanding of what Jesus meant about the whole world, nations coming to be saved is, is coming to pass here. God is working this out. So in Acts 1.8, if you remember, uh, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in that county where the city of Jerusalem is. Samaria, remember the half-breeds or half Jew, half Gentile, and to the end of the earth. And we've been seeing that unfolding, haven't we? And the end of the earth, we see here that finally the Jewish believers are are really grasping and understanding. This means all the Gentiles directly, they can be saved. So it's not that the Gentiles are being folded into the Jewish believing Christian church, but they are going to be part of the body of Christ. So, here we come in verse 19, and Luke writes, Now, he says now, and, he, and he's kind of saying, Now, let me tell you what's been happening behind the scenes. 
Peter is in Jerusalem. Remember, he went to Jerusalem. He shared about his experience. Uh, Gentiles, this household, getting saved. And so Luke says, well, well, let, let me tell you something else that's been going on. So in verse 19, he says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Do you remember Stephen was martyred in, in Acts chapter 7? We went over that. You remember, because of that, then this persecution rose up in Jerusalem. Till that time, uh, the city kind of was enamored with what was going on. All these people coming to Christ. But then with Stephen standing up against the Pharisees and, and trying to witness to them, but calling them in what they've been doing, trying to witness them, they, they, they stoned Stephen to death. And that started this persecution that rose up in Jerusalem. And in Acts 8, we see that then the believers are all scattered. They left Jerusalem. But that was part of God's plan for, for the gospel, for these believers to go from Jerusalem to Judea. So they went out into that area. And we saw that in, 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 then in um, they, Philip, right, in the next chapter, went out into uh, Samaria, and there was a revival there. And so the gospel was going out as believers scattered and fled with the gospel. So in verse 19, we see that the believers, these Jewish believers scattered, they fled, and they traveled as far as Phoenicia. And I don't know if, if that map is ready, but I was going to show you a map. I don't know if it's there. Is it there? No map? Oh, okay. Never mind. Um, uh, but if you were to look at a map of the ancient biblical times, uh, they, these be- Jewish believers traveled to up north to the coast of where Tyre and Sidon and, and it's called Phoenicia. All that, all that area is Phoenicia. And then Cyprus is an island, right? A Greek island in the Mediterranean Sea. And then Antioch is, even, is above Phoenicia. It's in modern day Turkey. And so uh, believers went from Jerusalem all the way up. Antioch would be about 300 miles up north. And so believers, Jewish believers, were going up, uh, spreading the gospel. Basically, that's what Luke is saying, up into these areas. But there's something that Luke mentions at the end of verse 19. He said, speaking the word, they're sharing the gospel of Christ, the truth of Christ, to no one except Jews. Now that's interesting, isn't it? These Jewish believers, they're still stuck in this nationalistic, separatist kind of Jewish prejudice, right? And so they're really trying to reach the Jews. They're still like thinking of Jerusalem. Yet they're going out. That's good. So they're looking for Jews in those areas to witness Christ too, that this is the Messiah. So Luke gives us a little hint in that, that, okay, these guys went out, but primarily they were speaking to other Jews. Then in verse 20 and 21, but, Luke writes, there were some of them, now, in other words, uh, Jewish believers, some of them, uh, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Now, Cyprus, again, is that island, that Greek island. And then Cyrene was, is actually, if you saw a map, it's way over on the, in Africa, on, on the other side of the Mediterranean, on this little tip. So, so there was some Jewish believers who were from these Greek 
or Gentile areas. Now, they were from that area. They were saved but when they, maybe they're in Jerusalem, maybe they're at Pentecost, but when they were from that area or they heard the gospel, maybe came from that area, but I believe they were from that area and they started to go and start sharing. If you look in verse 20 once again, uh, men of Cyprus and Serene who, who on coming to Antioch now spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. So they actually went to preach to Gentiles. The other guys in the verse above, they were just preaching to fellow Jews. But these Jewish believers who were from these Greek or Gentile areas, they ended up in Antioch and they began to speak to the Hellenists. Now I know in the past we define the Hellenists as Greek-speaking Jews. But in this instance, the Hellenists are, are basically just the Greeks or, or the Gentiles. Uh, basically, that's what it's being said here. So they went to the Gentiles and they were sharing Jesus Christ. So they broke rank, you can say. They were moved on their heart to, well, not just fellow Jews, but hey, we're going to share with the Gentiles. And, and they're from Gentiles area, so they weren't as purist as like the guys from Jerusalem. They, they were more open. And so these guys started preaching the Lord Jesus. And verse 21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them. In other words, the power of God was upon them. And you know what that power was? The Holy Spirit. What Jesus promised in Acts 1.8, it was the power of the Spirit upon them. And they were able to share. God used them as His mouthpiece, sharing the truth and the gospel. And here, Gentiles were getting saved. People in the city of Antioch was being saved. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So they grasped Jesus Christ. They turned to the Lord. And one commentator pointed out that in speaking to the Gentiles now, it, they weren't like um, uh, these Jewish believers. They weren't like, like when you speak to Jews, you know, they're probably saying, oh, Jesus is the Messiah. But these guys were, were in particular, they were uh, preaching about Jesus, the Lord Jesus, turning to the Lord, that, that Jesus is God. And so I thought that was an interesting note in about that. So God did the unexpected by a few unnamed men, Gentiles, were getting saved. And I like this too. We, we don't know their names. We don't know where, exactly who these guys were. But they made a huge impact in that city in Antioch. And God used these two unnamed guys to, to really, this revival was starting here. This unexpected revival began. Now you have to understand something here. Antioch. The city Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was, Rome was what was first, Rome of course, and then Alexandria in Egypt. But Antioch was the third largest uh, back then. Um, I, I mean, compared to today, maybe it's not that huge. But back then, they had about 500 to 600,000 people in that city. So it was a huge city there. It was a hub for trade. The wharfs and the trade routes all went through there. And 
it was sadly also known for its vices and wickedness. It would, it would be what probably back then they would call Antioch, the sin city of the Roman Empire. It's, it's been said that Rome was corrupted by Antioch. I mean, Rome was pretty bad itself, so you can imagine how bad Antioch was. It was home to the temple Daphne, who was considered the, the lover of Apollo, the god of Apollo. Uh, they said that the temple grounds was this 10 mile in, in circumference with grounds and buildings. And at a certain time every day, these prostitutes, these temple prostitutes would come out. So you can imagine this city was very pagan, very dark. But it was there that God sent these guys. It was there that these unnamed Jewish heroes of the faith, I would say, one day we're going to be in heaven, we'll get to meet them. Oh, you're the guy. Oh, I read about you. Amazing. God used you to start this Gentile revival. I mean, it was one thing, the Ethiopian Philip, uh, God used Philip for the Ethiopian. It was one thing for Peter to bring this household, the centurion's household to, the, to faith. But here's this wicked city and these unnamed Jewish Heroes of the faith did the unexpected and shared the light of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. I love that. I mean, they, they went out. They didn't just go to fellow Jews, yeah? No, they went to the darkest of the darkest to bring the light of Jesus Christ. The missionary uh, to China, Africa, and India, C.T. Studd, once said this, some like to dwell within the sound of church and chapel, but I want to run and re- run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I like that heart. That's these guys. So the unexpected revival of the Gentiles came by way of some unknown Jewish believers. We don't know, but you know, I think I, we can relate to that. I mean, who really knows us? It, we don't have to be famous. We don't have to be some apostle or pastor to be used of God in a mighty way to bring a revival. These guys, we don't know their names. They're, they're nameless. But this unexpected revival of the Gentiles now, this is the start, you guys, of, the, of, of a mass of, of Gentiles coming to the Lord. This is the start of the church there in Antioch. And it all came by the way of some unknown Jewish believers. I was thinking about this, and so I came across some little-known inventors you never really hear about. In in 1770, William Addis invented the toothbrush. Did you know that? He he was actually, because he caused a riot, he was in prison, but... Uh, before days, I guess they, I was reading, they take a piece of cloth and put salt and coal, coal dust on it to clean your teeth. Well, he, he took a, a, he drilled a hole in a piece of bone, uh, glued tufts of bristles in it, and that's how he made the first toothbrush. Who would have who known? Someone had to invent it, right? Uh, patented, patented in 1938, a journalist, Laszlo, Laszlo Biro, took ink and a little ball and made the first ballpoint pen. It was the first one in 1938. Seven years later, Marcel Bick bought it, a Bick pens. He bought the patent. In 1988, Scott Jones and Greg Carr invented voicemail. 
But you think about these little things, it, it changed the world. It changed the world. Their little ventures. Well, I, don't, I never even knew their names until I looked it up. Well, we don't know who discovered fire, right? Or the wheel or even other things like that. But there are things that changed the world. And these two unnamed guys, they brought in this unexpected revival of the Gentile. Just two, two ordinary guys did the extraordinary they changed the world. And you know what? That encourages me because that can be you and I too. God could use us in a mighty way. Not that we're special, but because of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said, when the power comes upon you, the Spirit comes upon you, you will be witnesses. And certainly this is what is being fulfilled here with these two guys. You know, I thought about is... Recently, we showed in church the Jesus Revolution, right? And God used some, some unnamed pastor at that time and a hippie off the street. Together, God used them to bring in the Jesus movement, to bring this, this revival of the young. And, and it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm a product of that, you know? And, and to save people, this revival. So you guys remember the saying, right? It's not about ability, but availability. But it, because it's the Spirit's power upon you that will make the difference. So understand, don't think that, well, I'll never amount to anything, or God, I'll just be, have my corner over here. You never know how God may use you. And it'll come unexpectedly, like these guys. The unexpected revival of the Gentiles came by way of these two unknown Jewish believers. So, here's the beginning of the first Gentile church. This unexpected revival breaks out and the church is, being, uh, is starting to be birthed here. Let's go to number two now, the unexpected discipleship. The unexpected discipleship. Now here we're going to cover verse 22 to 26 if you're taking notes. But let's take first verse 22 through 24. Acts 11, verse 22 says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. All right, so as we come into verse 22, we find that, that the news of this unexpected revival reached the ears or the, the leadership, the apostles, the people there at the Jerusalem church. 300 miles away, they hear what's going on in Antioch. A Gentile revival? You, you probably could imagine what they're thinking. What? What? A revival of Gentiles? What? Wait, wait. What? 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 But their hearts have been changed. Peter have come and given testimony of what he experienced. And now news come that outside of these guys, right? Outside of their efforts, outside of the apostles, two unnamed guys, yeah? All of a sudden there's this revival going on. And they're going, whoa, whoa, God is doing something here. God is moving. First with Peter and now we're hearing news of, of this going on. I was thinking about even during the Jesus movement, you know, there was places 
in, in, in the Midwest and even on the East Coast where things were happening there. It wasn't just the South Coast, uh, 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 South, South, uh, West Coast, sorry, West Coast, yeah. It, it, God was on the move. And so it is here. Can you imagine the guys in Jerusalem? They, they get this news that, whoa, there's this explosion of believers going on in Antioch. And they're Gentiles? Whoa, it must have really touched their heart, especially after what Peter had shared and what God was doing and what God had told Peter. So they decide to send Barnabas to Antioch. Now, Barnabas was the right guy for this job. Barnabas, if you remember, in Acts 4, his, his real name was, was Joseph, right? But they, would, they nicknamed him Barnabas, which means encourager. Um, uh, and so he became known as Barnabas. Barnabas, also we learn in Acts 4, he, he was actually from the tribe of Levi, too. He was a Levite, actually. But, uh, he, and, and, and so he sold some land in Cyprus, and he gave it to the church. And also, remember, in Acts 9, Barnabas was the one who, who brought Saul to the apostles in Jerusalem. Remember when Saul got saved, he went to Jerusalem, but no one wanted to talk to him. This is a trick. Remember, he was the persecutor guy. He was the guy arresting us. No way, he's not saved. There's no way. But Barnabas was the one who brought Saul to the guy. So here's Barnabas. And, and he was the right guy for this job. He was the right guy to send. Um, not only like in Acts 4 was he this encouraging loving, kind of accepting, welcoming guy. He welcomed Saul, right? Uh, but we see in verse 24, he was a good man. In other words, he, he, he lived a godly example. He, had, he lived out the godly life. He was full of the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 24. In other words, he was submitted to the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was guided by God. So it was perfect to, to send him out there. And he was full of faith. He was strong in faith and believing in the Lord. So he was the perfect guy. He was the right guy to send to Gentile believers, because if anyone who's open, right, to Gentiles being saved, it was Barnabas. He brought Paul. He was open about, you know, bringing Paul to the guys. He, he'd be perfect. He's welcoming. He's embracing everybody. He's an encourager. So he's the perfect guy to send. Perhaps, maybe, um, he put together uh, uh, what Saul Maybe talking to Saul, remember when Saul got saved and probably Saul shared with Barnabas uh, at the time when Barnabas brought Saul to the apostles. That maybe he, he, Saul shared with Bar Barnabas, well, this is how I got saved and this is what God is calling me to, you know, to the Gentiles. So maybe he's thinking Gentiles already. Maybe what Peter testified to, he, he was fully embracing this maybe more than anybody else. The apostles in Jerusalem um, probably saw Barnabas not struggling with that legalistic, nationalistic, separatist kind of, kind of feeling, but, but he was one of those fully like, whoa, God is moving on the Gentiles. Plus, Barnabas, we learn in Acts 4, he's from Cyprus. He's a Hellenist Jew. He grew up Greek-speaking, 
but he is a Jewish guy in Cyprus. So he knows the Gentile society, and he's the perfect bridge to go over there and see what's going on and perhaps minister and disciple them. So we see this resulted in um, this revival going on that great many people were added to the Lord. And with many people being added to the Lord, Barnabas went there to see what's going on. And when he got to Antioch, verse 23, he saw the grace of God. And what is that? He saw Gentiles, whole bunch of Gentiles getting saved. This is God grace. And he was glad. He was filled with joy. He wasn't confused in what was going on. He had fully embraced everything. So he's like, wow, Lord, this is great. This is awesome. And then he exhorted. That word in the Greek, we learned this the other day. Uh, it means to come alongside and encourage. So here's the encourager. Encouraging them. And in verse 23, to do two things. First of all, he encouraged them all to remain faithful. The idea he was encouraging these new believers now to remain faithful, to stick to Jesus, to stay loyal to God, especially because they live in such a sinful city, right? It'd be easy for them to slide back. But he's saying, guys, you have a new life in Christ now. You have Jesus now. You've been saved. You've been cleansed. So stick to Jesus. Stay loyal. Remain faithful. And you know what? I think that's the best thing you can tell a new believer. To stay with Jesus. Don't, don't go in and out. Don't just, just remain faithful to the Lord who saved you. I remember when Janae was small one night. We were having a family movie night and at home. And after... We started the movie, all the kids, family were watching some kid movie. Well, after a few minutes, and she was really small, she would get up and go run around and, and sit down. And then she'd go back and forth. She, she wouldn't stay in one place, but she was just a little child. And so, you know, I think it's easy, just as a, a little child, a new believer, can, it's, it's tempting. It, 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 there's potential for them to go back and forth and not stay in the place where God had placed you, had saved you too. And so here is Barnabas encouraging them, hey, remain faithful, remain faithful. So the second thing he says in verse 23, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He encourages these new believers to be determined. In other words, to set your will to keep to God's plan. It's easy living in a sinful world, being tempted. It's, it's, it's easy just to or maybe even be pulled away. So another priority to tell a new believer is, hey, just submit to God. Surrender your life. Uh, set your will to stick to His plan for your life. And that is no matter what. The enemy does. Because you can imagine, it's an evil city. It's a wicked city. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of demonic activity going on. Satan has set up his strongholds there. And now here's these Gentiles becoming believers. He's, he's going to attack them. They've jumped ship. They've gone to the other side. I heard uh, someone who had called a pastor say this. I accept 
I accepted Christ a week ago. And you know what? My, my life is now worse. I feel like just giving it, giving it all up. But the pastor says, no, don't do that. That's exactly Satan's strategy. And we understand that. That Satan wants to destroy our walk with God. He's our enemy. He'll come against us. So, this is great things to remind new believers to remain faithful, stick to Jesus, and stay, keep to a, the steadfast purpose of God in your life. God's plan, no matter what the enemy will do. And you know, maybe it's, it's a word for us tonight. Stick to Jesus. The temptations maybe have been strong. Maybe this week you've been battling a lot of things and, it, and the enemy's been coming strong on you. Temptations. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's temptations to give up. Maybe it, it's temptation to, to, to just go, go back. You, you don't need this. But keep to the purpose. Stay steadfast in the God's plan in your life. Perhaps this is a word to you through the Holy Spirit tonight. Through His Word. Okay, so this revival now, it kept going. Because at the end of verse 24, and a great many people were added to the Lord. More people were getting saved. That's what that means. Barnabas witnessed this explosion of Gentile converts even growing more. This was the birth of mostly the first Gentile church. Mostly Gentiles here. I'm sure there's also some Jewish believers. But this was really the official birth of the first Gentile church. And we're going to see later that the Antioch church becomes a major hub for missions. Like it is for trade, it becomes a major hub for missions in the book of Acts. And it's perfect. Because it's right there in the central part of Asia there. And, and, and it's a hub for trade. Well, why not for the gospel too? And so we have a major church in Jerusalem. And we have this major church being birthed here in Antioch. All right, verse 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So we see in verse uh, 24 at the end that a great many people are being added to the Lord. So because of that, Barnabas needed help. And I think a light bulb went off in his head. Hey, I can go find Saul. Antioch, um, just, just to a little bit to the... West, west of Antioch is Tarsus, where, remember, Saul had, his, had left Jerusalem. Uh, he was sent home to Tarsus, where he's from, when things got heated up in Acts 9, right? Um, the Jews wanted to kill him because Paul now, their, their, their guy who was persecuting Christians, is now converted, and they're like, wait. So most likely, Saul in Tarsus already preaching. Well, Barnabas is like, hey, Saul can help me. Hey, Saul's been called to the Gentiles. Hey, Saul's the perfect guy. Saul's right over here. So he goes to Tarsus. He brings Saul back to Antioch. And now for a full year, 
Barnabas and Saul are teaching the people. They are discipling these Gentile believers. Wouldn't it have been great to be there? I mean, think of your pastors, Barnabas and Saul. Yeah, the Apostle Paul would have been awesome. So for one full year, they're teaching the Gentile believers. And, and you got to think, what are they teaching? Well, of course, they're using Old Testament scripture. They didn't have the New, New Testament like we have today. But Saul, being an apostle, was getting the word from the Lord and teaching what we have in the New Testament today. So these two took the time this full year to disciple the Gentile believers in the Lord. And this is exactly what Jesus had called the disciples to do, the apostles to do. Jesus' commission, right, in Matthew 28, 19, says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was their job. This is what's going on. They are fulfilling that and discipling these Gentile new believers. Now, in verse 26, it says something here interesting at the end. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It was here in the city of Antioch, in this new church that has been birthed, the first Gentile church, it was here that the disciples or the believers in Christ were first called Christians. The word Christians actually, it means belonging to or being party of. It was actually back then a put down. It was, it, 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 they would mock them. Oh, you Christians. Yeah. Uh, it was derogatory. Uh, They're saying, oh, you guys who, who follow Jesus. Oh, you're, you're like Jesus. Oh, you're talking like Jesus kind of thing. But you know what? That's not a bad thing, right? Today, we would probably say, oh, you, you know, people would probably call you, oh, you bunch of Jesus freaks, right? Because everything is about Jesus. So it's not a bad thing. But what's wonderful is that in the discipleship of Barnabas, or from the discipleship of Bar- Barnabas and Saul, they taught the word and they taught the Gentile believers to live like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to share Jesus, that everything is about Jesus. And their discipleship brought this fruit. It was good fruit. People like Jesus. Christians. I was thinking about it this way. I said this before a while back, but if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? How would your family testify? How would, like, co-workers testify? How would neighbors testify? People who knew you, your friends. Well, for these Gentile believers, for the people in this first church of the Gentiles, it was evident that these guys were disciples of Jesus Christ, that they were truly Christians. So, I think this is amazing here, that here is a Jewish believer, Barnabas. Here's a Jewish believer, Saul. They went and they put their heart into discipling these Gentile believers. So this is what I want you to see, is the unexpected discipleship of the Gentiles came by way of two Jewish 
believers. Came by way of two Jewish believers. These Gentile believers are discipled by Jewish believers. How can you see that contrast? But yet God is putting now the church together, being made up of Gentiles and Jewish believers. I was thinking about this. To see these two Jewish believers discipling this Gentile church, it really points to their original call of Israel. In Isaiah 49, 6, the second part of that verse, the Lord says to Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Do you remember, originally the call of Israel really was to bring the knowledge of God and salvation of God to the world. But they turned it into a wall. They separated themselves from the world. Their traditions made them separate from the world. And they thought, they prided themselves thinking, well, we're chosen, we're better. But originally, God wanted Israel to be that light for God in the world, a nation for God that would shine His light, His truth into the world. Well, you know what I see? I see God now bringing that to pass where we have Jewish believers discipling the Gentile believers, where we saw these unnamed Jewish believers bring Jesus Christ, the light of Jesus, into this dark city to save Gentiles. It's all coming together. Though Israel might have, might have failed, God is using these Jewish believers here. As I mentioned last time, as believers in Christ, we have to have that same mentality. You know, it's not a, about our, our race or where we live or, or our prejudices, our pride. We need to be able to reach every person as Jesus calls us to do. That, that's what's important. The church is made up of all kinds of people, right? From all nations, from all walks of life, men, women, uh, children, uh, old, all kinds of people, the body of Christ is made up of that. We need to reach every person as Jesus calls us to do. And that's what's important. It's important that our prejudice, our pride, doesn't taint the love of Christ, doesn't taint what God really wants us to be doing. And I think that's why the apostles chose Barnabas, the encourager, the welcomer, the one who accepts everybody. We're going to see his heart come out even later when the issue of Mark, John Mark, comes up. Uh, but, but Barnabas, oh, he received Paul, right? And here he's, oh, open to Gentiles. We need that kind of heart and not be tainted with these prejudices. I read how someone had noticed plastic sheeting on the ground where the strawberries were growing. And at first he thought, oh, it's a moisture barrier, you know, keeping the soil moist. But then he was informed that it was actually to keep the strawberries clean uh, until time of harvesting. I thought, oh, that's interesting. But it made me think that we need to keep our lives clean so we can shine that pure light of Jesus Christ. And we can, we can let that light shine 
And we can disciple and raise others to shine that light too. So it's important that we, we keep that, that purity. That if we really are Christians, whether it's prejudice, whether it's pride, whether it's sin, whether, whatever that is, that we would be able to shine the pure light of Jesus Christ. I like something I want to share with you John MacArthur said. He said, you and I bear the name that they died to preserve in purity. You know, so many people call themselves Christians so glibly. Listen, if you're a Christian, wear it well. Wear it well, you guys. Wear it well. So the first Gentile church, it started with this unexpected revival. It was nurtured by this unexpected discipleship by Jewish believers. Now we come to number three, the unexpected collection. The unexpected collection. This is the rest of our verses, verses 27 through 30. We read here, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there will be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, this is important here. In the flow of things that we see, and I see why Luke put it there, put it here, and we're gonna we're gonna see how important this is. So Luke comes in here now. In those days, with this revival going on, Gentiles coming to believe in Christ, with Saul and Barnabas, they're discipling them. Uh, here's these Jewish believers, you know, really reaching out to the Gentiles. Well, in that those days. Uh, in these days, prophets would come from Jerusalem, and they come and share at the church and everything in Antioch, the church in Antioch. And then at one time, one of them named Agabus stood up, and he foretold, he prophesied by this Holy Spirit that there will be a great famine all over the world. In other words, a famine is coming to the land. And historically, it, it did happen. This took place, Luke writes, in the days of Claudius. Now, uh, that's Caesar Claudius. And historically, we know in 45, 46 AD that, that there was a famine that had come. And so because of what was prophesied, this was before the famine came, the disciples de- determined, they chose, they, they said, well, let's do this. Everyone, according to his ability, which I like, means no one was forced Give what you want to cheerfully give, what you can give, right? Second Corinthians 9, cheerfully give. Uh, let's take up a collection to send relief to the brothers living in Judea or Jerusalem, guys. In other words, we want to send a gift to our fellow brothers, the Jewish believers primarily, to help them out for this famine. That's coming. And so they sent relief there. They sent that collection. And it was Barnabas and Paul who brought them, brought this collection to the fellow believers there in Jerusalem in the area of Judea. 
I was thinking about, side note, well, Saul's been away for probably about three or four years and he's going back into Jerusalem. I wonder what he's thinking. What's going on now? Kind of thing. But here's what's important here. Here's the idea. With a show of love to the Jewish believers, the Gentile believers gave to the Jews. Or think about it this way. With a show of love to the Jews who long hated the Gentiles, the Gentiles gave. And I love that. Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And I've quoted this before in, in these studies, but look at that again. God is bringing down that wall and making the church one. But here, it's the Gentile believers they are, are gathering up a collection to send to the Jewish believers. This is a uniting act. This is an act of love. So the last thing to see here is the unexpected collection from the Gentile church was uh, love given to the Jewish church. That, this collection was a show of love here, basically. This just to get these things together, to get this collection, the monies to help their fellow believers there, that was huge if you think about it at this time. So God was mending the hearts, connecting the hearts, God was knitting the hearts of both Jewish believers and Gentile believers together, and this was becoming one church. Now we're seeing the early church now isn't just Jewish believers, but the early church is now both Jew and Gentile. So the unexpected collection from the Gentile church was love really given to the Jewish church. You know, recently um, this um, older elderly woman uh, that I see in the surf, she lost her husband to cancer. And I remember I had heard about it from uh, other, the other group of Dom Patrol guys. And, and I said, oh, no way. And I remember coming out of the water the other day and just, just talking to her. And she just started crying. It's, you know, it's been a couple weeks, but still, of course, fresh. Well, um, the, the community of surfers, uh, of these morning surfers, they ended up uh, getting a card. And I signed a card. We all signed a card. And they took up a collection and they gave her a gift of food and, and flowers and, and things, which I just heard today of, uh, that they had dropped off with. And um, Lynn is her name, with much tears and appreciation for the love you know, and care shown. You know, uh, she was really touched by this unexpected gift. And, and she's, she's probably in her late 60s too. And, but it was just, just so neat to be a part of that, you know. For me, and I was thinking about the same as this collection that was taken up by the Gentile church and, and, and then brought to the Jerusalem church by Saul and Barnabas, that how touching it must have been. I bet you it was another uh, healing act. But maybe of those Jewish believers who were still uh, not totally embracing, still maybe still had some strands of this separate nationalistic kind of Jewish kind of thinking there. I'm sure it was, it was healing to, to what? 
these Gentiles, they're saved now and they, they brought this gift? I'm sure it was healing. And I, I, I think we, sh- we need to keep that in mind. That sometimes a simple gift, a card, can be very healing in perhaps when God is wanting you to connect again. So the unexpected collection here. You know, I was reading several years ago, and this was during Christmas time, a man named John Nichol uh, stood out on the corner of a busy street with a sign, and the sign said, Free Hugs. He explained that all the members of his family were taking steps to, to go out and, and reach people. And, and he, he said this, As Christians, we believe that Jesus is coming again very, very soon. And we want to show love to all those around us. And I, I like that. I like that. His gift was free hugs. Kind of a neat thought. Well, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's all, that's what about. This is, that's what this is about. To live out our mission. To reach people for Jesus. Every one of us. No matter how ordinary or how, oh, I don't know if God could use me. You never know how the Lord would use you. But even if God would use you for one person, oh, that's huge. Because he's used you to change someone's eternity. And that's huge. But that's what it's about, right? To live our mission, to reach all peoples for Jesus, to love them to Jesus by the way we give, the, by the way we live. I'll close with this. The famous prime minister of England, Winston Churchill, once said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. So let's give. Let's live Let's give that love that shows that revival in our hearts. That's what the Gentile church showed. Let's show that love that, 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 that let, let's love that shows that we are disciples of Jesus. And let's give that love that shows when we do actually give our help to others. And that's what we see here. That's what we see what's happened in this birth of the first Gentile church. Let's pray. God, thank you once again for your word. And as we come to a close, God, stir our hearts up to live for you. Stir our hearts up and remind us of the mission of why we're here. God, put within us the love, God, to reach out, to give, to take down the borders and the walls that separate us, God, but to see each other to see others, to see the loss especially through eyes of love, through your eyes, God. Lord, I, I pray right now that that's exactly what you would do, that your spirit would come. God, heal us of our anger, bitterness, hatred. Heal us of the hurt that can be a root of all that. God, heal us of our pride and our selfishness but let us become your tools and instruments for your glory god to bring the loss to you jesus god we need you we need your spirit lord i i think about how 
we falsely have in our minds that a missionary is someone who goes across the sea into a foreign land to share Jesus. The Lord, a missionary, is, is all of us, each one of us. As soon as we go out these doors, we're on the mission field. God, let us keep that in mind. And perhaps, Lord, you will bring a revival. But let it start right here in our own hearts, God. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill us with your power. Baptize us, God. Lord, fill us with your love, with a yearning to see those around us, a concern for those around us who are so lost and they need you. Help us, God. Fill us with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.